we have the call to worship. Praise ye the Lord, praise God in the sanctuary, praise Him for His mighty acts, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. Let's bow our hearts and heads in sign of preparation for worship. Let us pray. We bow our hearts and lives to you, God above. We offer them anew to you on this your day. Thankful again to have access to come together in person to hear your word, Lord. To be with the people of God, we pray for your spirit to be with us in a special manner, Lord. As we gather together to hear your word, to sing praises before you, God. Hear our prayers to the blood of Christ this evening, we pray. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd be with our church, that our members would continue to grow in righteousness and love and patience and the fruit of the Spirit, God above, uh, that we would uh, learn to know what our talents and opportunities and abilities are and use them for the good of our family and good of the kingdom of God in particular, Lord, for our friends. We ask, Lord God above, in particular as we pray for our work situations, that we would work as unto you. Uh, it can be very hard, God, as we get distracted from the difficulties of life on our job throughout the week, um, difficult co-workers and unreasonable bosses perhaps, and ourselves, Lord, being unreasonable at times. We pray, nevertheless, that we would persevere in our jobs. and we never, Even so, Lord, we would continue to pray and work to the end to be good workers. We ask, God, for those who have difficult bosses and difficult co-workers and difficult time schedules and the like, that their load would be lightened and that the unreasonable would become reasonable. We pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and patience in dealing with such situations, Lord, and the courage to do the right thing, even if it means at times, God, to find perhaps another job. We pray, Lord, that we would be thankful for the work that we do have. We would be wise with the monies that we have garnered from our jobs and to use them, to use them as the sons of Issachar, knowing the times and seasons in which we find ourselves in God to save for difficult times in the future. We pray, God, that we would continue to persevere uh, as families with the things that we find ourselves dealing with, Lord, not just work, but also family issues and neighborhoods and our own personal uh, ailments and sicknesses and difficulties that we struggle with, Lord, for some of us who have chronic ailments, that we would persevere, that we would not be consumed by the difficulties around us, God, but to march ahead, to try to work through or around the difficulties we find ourselves in, but always, Lord, to trust and obey and to pray in your name, uh, to even fast if need be, God, uh, to come together to ask for advice from one another, and to persevere, Lord. May we persevere day by day. May we grow, Lord, not only as families and not only as those who have work situations, have various degrees, but we pray as individuals, God above, that we would take your holiness seriously, that we would continue to draw strength from your word, to pray before you, Lord, uh, to read your word, to meditate upon these things, uh, to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, God above. Uh, it's very enticing now, and the pressures are even stronger uh, this year than it has in the past. And I pray, Lord, it will not be stronger in the future, but rather, Lord, we would be stronger by your Spirit. To overcome sin, to say no and yes to righteousness. We pray in particular, Lord, that we would continue to work to the end of the expansion of the kingdom of God to help with the church with her mission, as we will hear part of that mission tonight. Lord God above, that we would be encouraged to know that you have loved us and given us your church, the body of Christ. And above all, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us turn to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, verses 17 and following. Acts 28, 17 and following. 
Let us listen attentively to the word of God. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judah concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophets of our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing, you will not hear, and shall not understand. Seeing, you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. When he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Let us pray. Here, gracious Lord, we see the end of the book of Acts. We see, Lord, in summary fashion, how things have come full circle. The calling of the church given at the beginning is now exercised most freely at the end. The church is called to preach the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, may we continue to have such churches across this land. May we support such churches. In your name we alone we pray. Amen. The book of Acts is about the birth of the New Testament church. The church is but the gathering from out of the world of believers and their children. And it has been around since Adam and Eve. Anyone and everyone who believed in the promised Messiah became part of that church. That church was formally organized in Abraham's time and then grew as the family grew into the nation of Israel. What is different about the New Testament church is not that it's a new gathering of the believers and the children from out of the world, but that the gathering occurred after the promised Messiah had actually come to earth in space and time. But that that gathering did indeed occur. And because of that, the limiting of the church to a small tract of land in the Middle East is no more. As we know, this is prophesied in the Old Testament. So the book of Acts is about the fulfillment of those prophecies. It is about the expansion of the kingdom of God from a small nation to encompass the whole world of nations. It is about the growth of the church from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth, we read in chapter 1, as shown with Paul in Rome. The end of Acts completes the purpose of Acts. It shows the chief evangelist, Paul, going to the end end of the then-known world, Rome, and even he had plans to go to Spain, as you recall. So we see one of the most basic purposes of the church, illustrated all throughout the book of Acts, 
and highlighted at the end of Acts to preach the kingdom of God to the Jews and Gentiles alike. The first point, verses 17 to 23, Paul's presentation, or the pastor's job, I suppose we could call it, he settles down here for a few days of rest, and it came to pass after three days that Paul came, called the leaders of the Jews together. Uh, settling down, finding a place to rent the whole kit and caboodle. He's human like us, I've mo- noted that before, and he has to deal with logistics and deal with contacting people and finding the Jews and even resting. And so he does. He calls them together. He gets the contacts. He scopes out the land. He gathers the leaders of the Jewish synagogue. And that's probably no small feat. They're busy men. They're important men in a big city and a busy city. But they come nevertheless. Remember back then, and in fact all up until the last hundred years or so, the news came in the marketplace. The news came even from the pulpit. The news came from foreigners coming into the land. They did not have the Internet. They did not have uh, readily available newspapers and letters. Those were still specialty items and expensive. Word of mouth, word of, and word of mouth by foot, was the most uh, readily available and accessible access of information. So they're going to come. They're gonna, they want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth, this news from their homeland. So we read in verses 17, or part of 17, 17b and following, his case. He presents his case before the Jewish leaders of the synagogue of Rome. So when they had come together, he said to them, that is the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. This is why I'm here. I am innocent. You'll see he'll say that in so many ways. It's not me doing anything. Uh, I've done nothing, in fact, against our people or the customs of our people. It's a time for him to defend himself, to clear the board of any rumors and windows about his religion or about him. Of course, he doesn't know exactly what they've learned. It doesn't mean that he's defensive. This is an interesting psychological tool I, I grew up with. Uh, when you have a discussion about some issue and you're perhaps at fault or maybe not and you don't think you're at fault, so you start explaining things and the rebuttal you hear is what? Stop being defensive. And, and I think there's perhaps some truth to that, especially if you know your children uh, or you know the person involved. There is such a thing as being defensive. But it's not wrong to defend yourself, right? So if that's what they mean and that does happen when someone says stop being defensive, they're saying stop defending yourself. I don't want to hear it. I've already declared you guilty. (laughs) We've seen a lot of that, right? No, it's okay. There's a time for it. Paul does it. Paul's done it a number of times in Acts, if you think about it. He gives an apology or defense of Christianity, of his own behavior in this case. To make a reasonable effort to defend ourselves is most proper and, in fact, even required by God's law when the circumstances are there, when you have to defend uh, your livelihood, you have to defend your family, you best make a defense and not claim some holy piety of somehow that God's going to fix it all, regardless of whatever you may do. God works through these efforts, and may we use these efforts as Paul does. He's a good example for us. Paul says elsewhere what? Follow my example. And here's a good example. There's a time and a place to defend ourselves. And he points out, of course, even the Romans didn't find anything wrong with me, when they had examined me, they wanted to let me go. And that's true, as you recall, a few chapters over, that they were willing to let him go. But they said, oh, well, you know, too bad, King Agrippa said. 
You appeal to Rome, to Rome you shall go. So apparently it was a fast track. You don't have this going through the layer of courts and maybe you get a decision. They just wanted to hear and perhaps give a fuller report. They're not going to stop it. They're going to let it go all the way. He does go all the way, as we know. So the Romans found nothing wrong. I am innocent. I was delivered nevertheless. Verse 19, but when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. I didn't appeal to Caesar because I thought the Jews were being bad and I wanted to take them out and show them the what for. I'm defending myself. I'm the innocent party here. The Jews persisted. It is diplomatic, I think, the way he's speaking here. But when the Jews spoke against, against me, against my claims, against the appeal, all this rolled up in one, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar himself. They spoke against me, not that they, what, riled up crowds against me and tried to kill me. He didn't say that. Isn't that interesting? I think he's being diplomatic. Clear, accurate, but diplomatic. He's not using evocative language, although it's true. Because they're trying to kill me. They're trying to rig the system against me. doesn't say that. I think that's quite interesting, again, to remind us there's a time and place for everything. There's a time and place to be strong and evocative, to be sure. Uh, the pulpit often is a place for that. Not always. Any other parts of life. And other times you need to be wise about these things. Know our audience. Uh, the Jews here, he doesn't quite know them, so he's going to be a little more cautious. Let us, again, follow Paul's example when need be. He was forced to appeal. In other words, he says here, uh, I was compelled, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. I wasn't doing this for political reasons. I had no other choice if I wanted to defend my life. The Jews give a response, verses 21 to 22 here, in the midst of Paul's formal presentation of doing his job. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who have reported or spoken any evil of you. What you have here, verse 21, right, is a formally correct statement. We neither received letters, nor have any of our brethren who came reported or spoken evil of you. So we have official, you know, secretaries and deliverers and uh, men bringing back messages. We've not heard anything evil of you. But we desire to hear from you, verse 22, what you think concerning the sect, for we know it is spoken against everywhere. So on the one hand, he says, they're saying to him, formally, we don't know anything about what's going on. Informally, we hear all kinds of bad things about this sect. Isn't that interesting? See how careful they are to speak again? And we do the same kind of thing. We've done this as a session, and we ought to do things like this as a session. It makes a difference when something's officially declared, like you know, from the mother synagogue of Jerusalem, go after Paul, take him down. Those letters haven't gotten here yet. Isn't that interesting? He beat the letters. I don't know if the letters were ever sent. I suspect they were, or maybe some effort, because the Jews really hated him. At the same time, it could be, we're happy he's gone. He's going to Rome. That takes a long time. Maybe he'll die in the ocean, and we won't have to worry about him again. We don't know. We don't know because the end of Paul's life is not mentioned in the Bible. It just ends here in verse 31 and the letters that we have. So officially, they are ignorant of this sector of Paul, actually, to be more precise. We have no official correspondence about you. We have no official words from reliable sources about you. And that's what they say. For this reason, um, they said, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have our brethren uh, reported or spoken any evil of you. Right? 
<clears throat> but of this sect, of course, he's, he's of this sect. So there's some kind of diplomacy going on here, I think, and they are being cautious, even as Paul is being wise and cautious. They're not ignorant of the sect. They're not ignorant of perhaps even Paul and where he's come from. They know people speak against it. In fact, they say everywhere it's been widespread. But they want to hear from one of the members of this sect. They're showing some fair-mindedness here, which Paul did not get in Jerusalem. Paul didn't assume, it seems to me, coming to Rome, coming to the Jewish synagogue and the leaders here, that they would be just like all the other Jews in Jerusalem. He was playing cautious. And again, teaching us, I think, uh, being wise and realizing changing regions, even though it may be the same religion or the same kind of leaders, we may still be just as cautious and, and wise in the matter. And in, case, in this case, it worked out. They wanted to hear, they want to have some more explanation of this stuff, because they know, again, back then, everything's hearsay and secondhand. <laughs> there's no Google, there's no cameras there in the riots of Paul, right? So you can see firsthand what really happened. He's an eyewitness. They want to hear the eyewitness. Paul, verse 23, has a time to teach. This is Paul's duty, so that's why it still covers the first point. Paul's presentation or the pastor's job, verses 17 to 23. Paul's preaching, Paul's teaching here, verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him in his lodging. To whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Verse 23. Here we have decency and in good order. They pick the day, they pick the time, they pick the location so that people can come and not just like the next day. People take, it takes time to gather the people who are interested in leaders and perhaps those who are becoming leaders or just average members of the synagogue and Jews to come to hear the news. Of course, they Probably overflowing. People coming to these events, again, they did this in early America, even up to 100 years ago. You have a guy speaking about things far away. They all want to come. This is partly their entertainment even. right? This has got this new guys and tell us something interesting going on in Jerusalem so far away. And maybe something really tantalizing about this sect. Whatever their purpose is, Paul doesn't care. They're here. He's going to speak. And so they picked a good time. And they had probably a question and answer time. This is the way the Jews did things in the synagogue, something like a something like a Sunday school. Now, how did Paul speak to them? What effort did he make? What did he do to persuade them? We're given a little bit of information here. They came to him in his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. That is, he is an eyewitness. And he's speaking to them as an eyewitness. He's not making this stuff up. He can say, I've been there, and I'm going to explain these things to you. And they took it that way. At least many of them did. He testified of the kingdom of God. He persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. So the persuasion in particular is he used the Bible, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch from the Law of Moses and the Prophets, of course, is shorthand for the rest of the Old Testament. The Law and the Prophets is often used as a shorthand for the entirety of the Old Testament. It's something they had in common. He's going to use what they have in common. His epistles show, in particular, how Paul reasoned in detail. He would quote the Old Testament. Then he would use logic to unpack the implications of those texts and of those prophecies. And he did it all day. 
Would that God would give us such opportunities in these days of America that people would want to hear and listen to instruction all day from morning till evening. No, certainly not all of them did. Probably got tired halfway, went home. But there was enough people that he could be there all day. They kept coming in and out, whatever the case is, or they sat there all day, uh, raptured or, or enraged, or whatever the situation is. He's there, he's ready, he's willing, and pastors ought to be willing if they have such opportunities. Pray for more such opportunities for pastors to do their job. Second point, Jewish response. The Jewish response, we had a little bit earlier, right? We don't know who you are. We want to hear more about what's going on here. But this is the response to his teaching, to his position, to his duty to the world, the mission of the church, to preach and teach the kingdom of God. It is, in other words, their rejection, verses 24 and 25. Although some even believed. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Verse 24. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul and said, and he said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. About you. (laughs) They give a response. They give a mixed response. Some were persuaded. Presumably they were baptized. And then they joined the church in Rome. They heard the reasoned arguments. They were persuaded, they asked questions, they investigated the Old Testament text themselves, as we know, like the Bereans probably, and then listened to Paul's solemn testimony, his eyewitness account. They believed in miracles already, it made it a little easier for him, right? Today we have members and audience and neighborhoods and family members who don't believe in miracles. To them there is no testimony, they don't want to hear it, unfortunately. But some do believe by God's grace, because they listen and listen to the reasoning. And it's not unreasonable when you look at the world and the creation around it. That a greater being created all these things. This complexity. This depth of beauty. My daughter is commenting on the beauty when we're driving down Hampton. Of the sunset across the clouds. Some dark clouds like islands across an ocean of pastel. Right? That's God. And they're persuaded. And these Jews are persuaded. They already believe in the beauty of God. Praise the Lord. Now, it's almost always the case you have a mixed reaction to the gospel preaching, that some believe and some do not believe. They don't accept the eyewitness testimony of Paul in this case. They do not accept the arguments from the Old Testament. And even today, many Jews are very uh, stubborn in their unbelief, perhaps even proud. They herd the Christians around in the Middle East there in Israel to make sure they got their money, but they don't get to witness to anybody around them. They can't go off the reservation and going to cities and towns. They don't take missionaries for Christians there. That's been reported to me by several people who've been there. Even today, unfortunately. It's not unusual, of course, to have lots of converts, but thousands of converts? That's unusual. We don't know what we have here. He doesn't say. It's kind of interesting, I think, as you see the flow from the early chapters of Acts to the end, the numbers aren't really mentioned anymore. Just there are some who believed, some who didn't. Early on, it was unusual historically. Thousands believed. And another day, another thousand believed. And 5,000 believed. It's absolutely astounding and incredible. It's rare. It can happen. It's up to God's plans. We should not, of course, presume upon God that he cannot, nor presume that he ought to. What's the problem with your church, right? That's the other problem. But some don't believe and some do. That's just the way the world is. The Jewish response here is mixed, as it is even to this day amongst even the Gentiles. Paul's response, verses 25 to 31, 
verses 25 to 31. His response is, again, more clearly the church's response or the church's mission. He responds by carrying out the church's mission. Remember, it's not just Paul's mission, his uh, duty, his calling, his job. He's doing the job of the church. The commission, the great commission at the end of Matthew is given to the church as a whole. And the leaders in particular exercise that calling with the responsibility God has given them. He quotes Isaiah. We read in 25. They didn't agree amongst themselves. They depart. They're squabbling probably and for who knows how long. And after, uh, that is, they departed after Paul had said one word. So he got the final word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Goodbye. Oh, before you leave, I have one last word. <laughs> the, a, a harsh I mean, that's a strong word. You're like our fathers. You've hardened your hearts. You don't want to listen, which suggests to me that many of them did not believe. It's part of the many prophecies of old applied to the New Testament. Isaiah 44.3, for example, For I will pour out water on them who who are thirsty, and floods in the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And we know that's unpacked in Joel more explicitly, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. There's that pouring again. And your sons and daughters, that's the offspring and the descendants, shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and young men shall see visions. And they did in Acts. It was fulfilled in Acts. In fact, Peter quotes Joel, which itself unpacks more clearly Isaiah 44.3. Many prophecies are fulfilled in the time of Acts, and even today, as we who are Gentiles, prophesied of old, to be born again, to be brought into, engrafted into the vine that is the church of God that was there from old. And so we read in Acts, in other words, these prophecies coming to life, the fulfillment of all these things, of all the hopes of God's people. Isaiah, in particular, is describing here the stubbornness of their hearts. Isaiah chapter 6. They hear the words, but do not embrace them. That's what he's saying here. Go to these people, go to these stubborn Jews, my people, and say, in hearing, you will hear, and shall not understand. It's going to go in your ear and going to bounce off your brain. That's what we would say today, right? And seeing, you will see and not perceive. Kid, what have you been doing? <laughs> Hello, right? I did that when I was a kid. I daydreamed sometimes. I would hear, I would see and not see. I would hear and not hear. That's what he's talking about. Why is that? For their hearts, right? For the hearts of this people. You Jews, Paul is saying, right here and now, have grown dull. You're non-responsive to God's grace and his call of mercy. Their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes they have closed. Why did they close their ears? Why did they close their eyes? Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. They don't really want to know. They don't want to hear it. They don't want the world to be turned upside down. Because that's what's happening here. As we see the struggle in Acts up to chapter 15. And the Jerusalem church gets together and says, Okay, you know, no more ceremonial law. We don't need this anymore. 
They want to embrace it. They don't want to lose it. We've met people like that. They don't want to listen. They don't want to see it. It's sad. We hope their hearts aren't this hard, but maybe they are. Matthew Henry puts it this way. That which was their great sin against God is yours, Paul is saying to them, and that is this, you will not see. You shut your eyes against the most convincing evidence possible and will not admit the conclusion, though you cannot deny the premises. Your eyes, you have closed. This intimates an obstinate infidelity and a willing slavery to prejudice. It was true, he continues, of these unbelieving Jews that they were prejudiced against the gospel they did not see because they were resolved that they would not. And none so blind as those that will not see. And we see it to this day, as I understand it, you don't have a lot of Jewish converts. Not proportional to, to, to how many there are in the world. We have a lot of Gentile converts. But historically, many, many Jews have hardened their hearts and they will not turn back to God. Paul witnessed it firsthand. And we see it to this day. In other words, it was willful blindness, for Paul gave clear evidence. He gave his testimony, he gave the word of God, and they did not want to hear it. And so he turns to the Gentiles, he warns them, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. You will hear it, that's why you're here this evening. And so we've come full circle. The growth of the church in Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are here, the end of the earth at that time. Getting closer and closer to Spain. And we've come full circle across the entire globe now. Across the Atlantic, where the Puritans brought the gospel to the new world. Jesus in Acts 1.8 says, And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's the pattern of the book of Acts. Expansion of God's people, no longer confined to a geographical slice of land. And we see an outline of the apostles' work, mostly Peter in the first opening chapters, and then Paul for the remaining part of the book. The church in Jerusalem, chapter 1 to chapter 8. In chapter 8, they're spread across the rest of the... Roman Empire by persecution, remember? And then the church scattered into Judea and Samaria in chapter 8 to chapter 12. And then Paul comes on the land, uh, on the scene, and the church expands to the Gentile lands. That's the three broad geographical descriptions of the book of Acts. It's fulfilling that prophecy and showing it to us that God was behind it all along, both an extraordinary providence and the miracles, and special providence, or ordinary providence is particularly directed towards God's church and protecting his people, like Paul, who used the ordinary means of like eating and surviving in a storm as best they could. All these things show the supernatural origins of the church, as Acts does, and reminds us again of the mission of the church that Paul in microcosm in one person showing what the job of all the people, of God's people, of God's church, their mission of the church, specifically of the pastors, to preach and to teach the kingdom of God. For that is what he did. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Sure, he just threw a grenade right in the middle of them. (laughs) And then Paul dwelt two whole years in his rented house and received all who came to him. Doing what? The mission of the church. 
preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. The kingdom of God is but to say the rule of Jesus. Where there's a kingdom, there's a king. The things concerning the Lord Jesus, as it says here, the kingdom of God in teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus. What are the things that concern the Lord Jesus? That there is a Lord Jesus. He is God in the flesh. That he is Jesus, has a human nature. That he is Christ, the title of Messiah, promise of the Old Testament. And other things concerning him, that he lived and died for his people. That he gave a great commission and baptism. That there is a new covenant. All that we have in the New Testament. Paul spent two years teaching as he would when everyone, anyone and everyone who ever came to him. Pray, brothers and sisters, for the pastors to keep preaching the kingdom of God and for churches to support such teachers, even in the midst of persecution as Paul found himself persecuted by the remnants of the Old Testament church. Let us pray. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray and thank you. We lift up our voices before you for giving us the testimony of Peter and Paul. And we know all the others in the background, God. We don't know in particular, but they encourage us because we know the church was growing and other people were teaching and there are other evangelists and even the laymen were spreading the good news. Help us, God, to be encouraged therein to continue on to live in the kingdom of God and to support pastors and to pray that they would keep preaching and teaching as Paul does to whomever would listen. In your name alone we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.